Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, How to Pray Like the Apostles Prayed. This is lesson number eight, and uh, this is actually going to be a two-part lesson, lesson eight and nine. And part one, uh, the subject is, God is a spirit. Therefore, communicating with him can only be done supernaturally. Now, before you say, well, that's not true, well, let's look at what the Bible says. Okay? We'll start with a verse that doesn't seem like it's talking about prayer, but it's talking about principle. We cannot pray by the Spirit if we do not first have the Spirit within us. John four twenty one through 24. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Listen carefully, verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, verse 24, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, worship uh, can be described as many things. But worship in one of its purest forms is a communication with God, which we could call prayer. Now, worship is ministry to God. That makes it the highest form of worship. I didn't say praise. Praise can be worship or not worship, because to be to praise, to legitimately praise, the only thing I've got to have is breath. Now, my life and faith give value, varying degrees of value to my praise, but let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Let everything that's breathing acknowledge that they don't control their breath. So they praise God in acknowledgement of that. Uh, but then uh, the word worship, the first time we see the word worship is when the disciples, uh, or excuse me, when Abraham was going up uh, Mount Moriah to offer Isaac. And this, Isaac said, Father, here's the wood, here's the fire, where is the sacrifice? And, oh, excuse me. First, he said to the to his servants who had traveled to the base of the mountain with him, "Stay here. I and the lad are will go yonder and worship." And of course, the Hebrew word translated worship is similar to the Greek word translated worship. They both mean to prostrate oneself. It speaks of what you did when you came before a king. If you were not a trusted servant, you were supposed to lay yourself down flat with your arms stretched out over your head on your stomach, and it's a completely indefensible position. And you're saying to that king, or in this case, God, I am no threat to you. 
I have no ability to defend myself. I am at your mercy. That's the context in which uh, Abraham worshipped the first time the word worship was used in the uh, King James Old Testament. So uh, when Jesus said the Father is seeking for true worshipers, He's seeking for those that aren't saying they're a worshiper, and yet they refuse to be completely submitted to the will of God. And he acknowledges that you cannot become a true worshiper. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the the uh, first requirement is truth. Because I've got to know what the will of God is and prostrate myself, surrender, submit to God and to his will. And I can only do what I find in the word, the truth, by the power of the spirit. So I submit myself to God by his spirit according to the revealed will of God and the word of God called truth. Now, if worship or ministry, this is called worship. So if worship or or any ministry requires both spirit and the truth, and the principle of God is firmly established here, that if worship, the ministry of worship to God requires both spirit and truth, there is no other ministry that doesn't require spirit and truth in order to be true ministry. Again, if if it if Having spirit of the truth and worshiping by means of the spirit is necessary to be considered by Jesus a true worshiper. Then any other ministry, in order for it to be considered true ministry, must have this truth and must do so by the spirit. Of course, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, the Lord tells us there are some people who actually had miracles that he didn't deny were miracles, but they were not true worshipers. He said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works, or the Greek is mighty miracles, awe-inspiring miracles. And he said, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So it's possible to even have the Holy Ghost and maybe even have truth but not be submitted to the will of the Father in heaven and be a rejected worshiper. I don't want that. I hope you don't want that. I can't believe you're watching these videos if you don't want that. <laughs> it would be very painful to watch these videos if you don't want that. So the first purpose of speaking in tongues in a believer's life is the evidence of being born of the Spirit. So if I'm going to pray in the Spirit, we talked about that in previous lessons, and we'll do some more So some more. In uh, the next couple of lessons, this lesson, uh, we first have to know if biblically we have received the Holy Ghost. Now, John chapter 20, 
the scripture says, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And a lot of people believe they received the Holy Ghost right then. Except the problem is those same exact people are with him just before his ascension as specified in Acts chapter 1. And he said to those same exact people, go after I depart, go and tarry in Jerusalem uh, and receive the promise of the Father. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost then. So the people he breathed on in John chapter 20, he sent to Jerusalem after his ascension. The people he breathed on before his ascension, he sent to Jerusalem to pray and to wait to receive the Holy Ghost after his ascension. So they didn't have the Holy Ghost, did they? They didn't have the Holy Ghost. They had the promise. They hadn't received the promise. So if we're going to pray in the Spirit, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, if we're going to live in the Spirit, we first got to know we have the Spirit. So John chapter 3, verse 3 says this, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time as his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. There are people who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's all about the flesh. It's what they do. Or they they have the perverted doctor of grace that says, I don't have to do anything. He's going to save me no matter what I do. That's perversion. That's not Bible. It's not truth. And so I... I that which is born of the flesh. Everything, every religious thing that's produced by the flesh is flesh. And the Bible says it's carnal and it's enmity with God, Romans chapter 8. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And if I'm spiritually minded, Romans 8 says, that's life and peace. Verse 7, not marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. It's King James language. Now here's the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone, everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, let's read a couple of translations just to get a little bit more clarity on what this says. Uh, the World English Bible translates the wind, and then it puts a little squiggly lines. I don't know what you call those, forgot. Uh, not a bracket, but whatever. Uh, the same Greek word, Numa, Numa, P-N-E-U-M-A, means wind, breath, and spirit. It's the same word. The wind, breath, or spirit, blows where it wants to, and you hear its sound, but don't know where it comes from and where it is going, so is everyone that is born of the spirit. Now, some take this and translate it to say, you can't know when the spirits come. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive, but how dumb is that? Listen to what you're saying. I've got to have the Spirit. If Romans 8 and 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his, and I can't know when I've got it? Well, he said you got it. Well, how do I know I have it? Romans 8, uh, 15, 16, 17 says that the Spirit's going to bear witness with my spirit, not to my spirit, but with my spirit that I'm a son of God. So I've, I've got to be able to know that, right? And what is the way the Spirit bears witness with my spirit in Romans 8, 
Because the Spirit itself cries through us, with us. Abba, Father. Two different languages. To prove that we are sons of God. John, or the Young's Literal Translation says, The Spirit, where it willeth, doth blow, and his voice thou dost hear. But thou canst not, thou hast not known whence he cometh and whither he goeth. Thus is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. The literal translation of the Holy Bible by Mr. Green translates it, the, the Spirit breathes where it desires, where he desires. You can hear his voice, but you do not know where he comes, uh, where, where, from where he comes and where he goes. So is everyone having been generated from the Spirit. And then Rotherham's emphasized Bible reads, The Spirit, where it pleaseth, doth breathe, and the sound thereof thou hearest. But knowest not whence it cometh or whither it goeth, thus is every one who has been born of the Spirit. What is the emphasis here? The Spirit coming and going, or knowing when it's come, being born again? Because you're not born again if you're not born again of water and the Spirit. So how do I know when I'm born of the Spirit? How can I know when I'm born of the Spirit? Because I hear the voice of the Spirit. Now there's several different ways we can know the wind's blowing. We can feel the wind blow. We can see the effects of the wind blowing. Or we can hear the wind blow. The Holy Ghost chose one of those as the focus of this example because this is what happens with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. Now it's important to note this when we get into uh, the next lesson, part 2 of this lesson. Uh, that when the scripture says that Gentiles receive the Holy Ghost just like us, none of this is mentioned. So that's not the focus. This was the initial time. Why? Because the day of Pentecost was the day the Jews celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And on the, on the mountain, there was a rushing wind and there were, there, there was fire that fell from heaven. All is a witness that God had given his word to Moses starting the Old Covenant. So at the beginning of the New Covenant, on this day of Pentecost, uh, you have those same witnesses, but that's not the proof of the Holy Ghost. Uh, the Lord talked, brought Elijah out of a cave, and he, he experienced the fire, he experienced the wind, he experienced the, the, the earthquake, but then God spoke to him in a still small voice. And that's when he heard God, because God's voice wasn't in the earthquake, wasn't in the fire, wasn't in the 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 the, uh, the tumult of the wind. And so it is when the wind blows in our lives. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amplified Classic Edition says, and they were all filled, diffused throughout their souls with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other different foreign languages, tongues as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression, each in, in each tongue in appropriate words. Uh, we says it this way, 
And all were controlled by the Holy Spirit, began to be uttering words in languages different from their own native language and different from those spoken by the others, even as the Spirit kept giving them ability to speak forth, not in words of everyday speech, but in words belonging to dignified, elevated discourse. That's what the word utterance is. The Greek word for, as the Spirit gave them utterance, is speaking a language at its highest level. Not colloquial language, not slang, but at the highest level it can be spoken, both in pronunciation and grammar and whatever. There were dwelling at at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues, the Spirit gave them utterance. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. They'd all come together for the Feast of Pentecost. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they, 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 were, and they all were amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans. Now, the new treasure of scriptural knowledge says that this phrase, Noise was noise abroad in the Greek is this voice was made, and that's the exact same Greek as in uh, John 3 and 8, when it says, Thou hearest the sound thereof, you, you hear the voice thereof. Those are the same exact Greek words here. Now, when this was noise abroad, when this sound was heard, when this voice was heard, What voice did they hear? Speaking in tongues. There's no evidence that they saw the fire or heard the wind. What they heard was people speaking in tongues. They never even, the fire and the wind is never even mentioned again by the crowd. It's never mentioned by the crowd. It's not even mentioned by the disciples in this context. The only thing they were discussing was speaking in tongues. And so verse 7 again, and they were all amazed and marvel, saying one to another, but, not, but behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How here we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. And then there's a list, and I'm not going to read them for time's sake. You're welcome to read them in verses 9, 10, 11. There's a, at least 15 different languages that were spoken by the 120 who received the Holy Ghost. Now, some will say, well, they spoke in tongues so they could preach to all these people. These were Jews, devout Jews. Every devout Jew spoke Hebrew. The Holy Ghost did not need to enable his 120 to speak in their foreign language so he could preach to them. They all spoke Hebrew. And when Peter stood up and began to speak, he spoke in one language. He didn't speak in tongues. He spoke in Hebrew because they all spoke Hebrew. So the speaking in tongues was not for the purpose of preaching. It was for the purpose of bearing witness that these people were sons of God. Romans 8, chapter 15, chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. John chapter 3, verse 8. John chapter uh, 3, verse 7, uh, verse 5, I mean. Being born again in the Spirit. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And they were all amazed were doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? And others mocked and said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, said unto them, you men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. Peter did not need to speak in tongues to preach to the crowd. He didn't. So any twisting of the scripture to try to eliminate tongues as being relevant today by saying the only reason they spoke in tongues was so they could evangelize. No. 
There's no evidence that they ever spoke supernaturally in a language when they were preaching other than the language of their mind when they were preaching. And Paul made that very clear. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to speak in tongues when he was ministering because there would be no profit. I'd rather, I'd rather teach uh, in five words in my own language than speak in unknown tongues when I'm teaching. Praise God. Peter stood up, uh, but Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice, said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose. See, it's but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my service and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show signs and wonders uh, in heaven above and in signs on earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So they were asking, what meaneth this? What does this mean? And... Peter told them they were discussing speaking in tongues. They didn't know what that was. The crowd didn't know. They asked, what does this mean? Hearing all these Galileans that are from Galilee, and we know by their appearance and their dialect when the, uh, you know, they're Galileans, we hear, hear them speaking all these foreign languages. There was one or two you could say, well, they, they learned that from somebody. But 120 of them all speak into those different languages, and those people were able to recognize and pick out of all that uh, that that noise the languages of theirs that they understood. And he said, "This is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel." He didn't say, "This is." He didn't say, "You're asking about the Holy Ghost." Well, this is what Joel said was promised. No, no. They were talking about speaking in tongues. And Peter said, this, you're talking about tongues? Is that which was spoken of the, by the prophet Joel? I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Now, it takes some real, oh, uh, not trying to be unkind here. It takes some blindness or for some intellectual dishonesty to deny all this because it's really plain. And so Peter continues in chapter 20, uh, verse 22 of chapter 2. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being by the determinate counsel him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. You took him, you slew him, but God planned in advance, knowing that you would cooperate because your will was always wanting to do its own will. All he had to do is give you a little open door there. And you did. And you fulfilled the promise. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be beholden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also in my flesh, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. 
Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. That is a, a, a that's Peter quoting under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, his version for that day of David's prayer and declaration in Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Paul, uh, Peter's only quoting here the first part of that. Uh, thou hast made known to me the ways of life, and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance in thy presence before your face. He didn't talk about the the uh, right hand of God yet because they weren't they weren't there yet. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us until this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with uh, with an oath to him, that of the fruit fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses." Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Who is the giver of the Holy Ghost? The Lord Jesus Christ. And when you receive the Lord the Holy Ghost from the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are there present will both see and hear you receive the Holy Ghost. It won't be an internal thing that nobody knows about. And that you're not even sure of. Because God is no respecter of persons. And if they receive the Holy Ghost, and, and Peter said you could see it and hear it, that's what drew the crowd, what they heard and then saw when they got there where the noise was coming from. And that noise was a mixture of all these languages being spoken by all these different people. And they were not speaking to men, they were speaking to God. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heavens, but he himself, he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made, God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, why is that important? Isaiah 44, verse 1 says, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee. Thus saith the Lord. All four letters are capitalized. That means it is Adonai or Jehovah. Not Adonai, but Jehovah or Yahweh, however you choose to say it. Not not, not uh, uh, Adonai, which is Lord or Supreme Ruler. But the name, J-H-V-H, with the consonants in it, which is the name of the Lord, the Lord. There's only one Lord, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hero is the Lord our God is one Lord. So thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit, the Lord said that, upon thy seed. 
and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as, as among the grass, as willows of, of the, by the watercourses. One, one shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob's, and another shall ascribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. So, the Lord said, Jehovah said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon thy seed. But who is it that pours out the Holy Ghost? John the Baptist said, Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Mark chapter 1 and 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, John said, but he he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Luke 3, 16, uh, it says, He, speaking of the one who's uh, mightier than I, who comes after me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, uh, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost with fire. And then, of course, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given... After that, he was taken up after he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them, commanded them, one optional, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. But John said, Jesus was going to be the Holy Ghost baptizer. And Peter said that he is the one that shed forth this, which you now see and hear, this promise of the Father. He shed it forth. So the Lord has given us tongues as a sign of, that we've been born again that we, of the Spirit, that we've been born of the Spirit. It's the voice of the Spirit that you hear to know when the Spirit's come. And he's there. And you know he's there. And he, as we continue to yield to him, and he continues to pray and praise and intercede through us and supplicate through us in the Spirit, we know the Spirit is there. Because I cannot pray supernaturally if I do not have the Spirit. Isaiah 28, 11, and 12 says... For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is a refreshing, yet they would not hear. Now, the word this in verse 12 is a relative pronoun. It has to refer back to something as its subject. Grammatically, there's only one thing that the word this can refer back to is stammering lips and another tongue. This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Now, these words were quoted in reference to speaking in tongues by Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 21. And the law it is written with men and other tongues and other lips, will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. Paul left out the part because he's trying to make the point of tongues here. Uh, 
he left out the part about rest and, and uh, refreshing, or the Holy Ghost did in this particular case, not because it was not important, but because the emphasis was on the tongue, because he said there, uh, the next verse says, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So it's a sign. And then finally, I'm closing this lesson with this verse, or these verses, Mark 16, 15 through 18. And he said unto them, Go ye in all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth, on, believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any other thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. So that's what happened in the beginning of Acts chapter 1. And after he was received up in heaven and they received the Holy Ghost, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. What signs? All of the signs that were listed there. But the one that happens to everybody is the voice of the Spirit to prove that we are born again of the water of the Spirit. You cannot pray in the Spirit and by means of the Spirit and cannot communicate in prayer supernaturally without the Spirit unless you know you have the Spirit. Now, I'm not trying to take anything away from something people have. I'm simply saying to you, don't quit. Don't give up until you have received everything the Lord's got for you to have, to receive. Now, in the next lesson, part two, I'll be giving even more evidence, biblical scriptural evidence, that the voice of the Spirit, John 3, 8, is the proof that you've been born of the Spirit. Without being born of the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So speaking in tongues is not what saves us. Being born of the Spirit saves us. But according to John 3 and 8, how can I know that I have the Spirit which will save me? Will enable me to enter the Spirit of the kingdom? Only by, only by, only by initially speaking through the voice of the Spirit. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. I pray upon you and I, the spirit of grace and revelation and wisdom and the knowledge of him, that God would open our eyes and let us see his word, what he's actually saying, not what we think it says or not what we want it to say or not what other people have said it said says, but that we might be able to see for ourselves exactly what the word of God says so we can know the truth and the truth can set us free. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Let's pray in the Spirit. Let's pray supernatural prayers by receiving and continuing to have the Spirit of God abide in us and flow through us by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen.